Chapter Seventeen, Part Four of *The Girl on the Boat* by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Six. Billy, meanwhile, with Bream trotting docilely at her heels, had reached the garage and started the car. Like all cars which have been spending a considerable time in secluded inaction, it did not start readily. At each application of Billy's foot on the self-starter, it emitted a tinny and reproachful sound, and then seemed to go to sleep again. Eventually, however, the engines began to revolve, and the machine moved reluctantly out into the drive. "'The battery must be run down,' said Billy. "'All right,' said Bream. Billy cast a glance of contempt at him out of the corner of her eyes. She hardly knew why she had spoken to him, except that— as all motorists are aware, the impulse to say rude things about their battery is almost irresistible. To a motorist the art of conversation consists in rapping out scathing remarks either about the battery or the oiling system. Billy switched on the headlights and turned the car down the dark drive. She was feeling thoroughly upset. Her idealistic nature had received a painful shock on the discovery of the yellow streak in Bream. To call it a yellow streak was to understate the facts. It was a great belt of saffron encircling his whole soul. That she, Wilhelmina Bennet, who had gone through the world seeking a Galahad, should finish her career as the wife of a man who hid under beds, simply because people shot at him with elephant guns, was abhorrent to her. Why, Samuel Marlowe would have perished rather than do such a thing. You might say what you liked about Samuel Marlowe, and, of course, his habit of playing practical jokes put him beyond the pale, but nobody could question his courage. Look at the way he had dived overboard that time in the harbour at New York. Billy found herself thinking wistfully about Samuel Marlowe. There are only a few makes of car in which you can think about anything except the actual driving without stalling the engines, and Mr. Bennett's twin six complex was not one of them. It stopped, as if it had been waiting for the signal. The noise of the engine died away. The wheels ceased to revolve. The car did everything except lie down. It was a particularly pig-headed car, and right from the start it had been unable to see the sense in this midnight expedition. It seemed now to have the idea that if it just lay low and did nothing, presently it would be taken back to its cosy garage. Billy trod on the self-starter. Nothing happened. "'You'll have to get down and crank her,' she said curtly. "'All right,' said Bream. "'Well, go on,' said Billy impatiently. "'Eh?' "'Get out and crank her.' Bream emerged for an instant from his trance. "'All right,' he said. "'The art of cranking a car is one that is not given to all men.' Some of our greatest and wisest stand helpless before the task. It is a job towards the consummation of which a noble soul and a fine brain help not at all. A man may have all the other gifts, and yet be unable to accomplish a task which the fellow at the garage does with one quiet flick of the wrist, without even bothering to remove his chewing gum. This being so, it was not only unkind but foolish of Billy to grow impatient as Bream's repeated efforts failed of their object. It was wrong of her to click her tongue, 
and certainly she ought not to have told Bream that he was not fit to churn butter. But women are an emotional sex, and must be forgiven much in moments of mental stress. "'Give it a good sharp twist,' she said. "'All right,' said Bream. "'Here, let me do it,' cried Billy. She jumped down and snatched the thingamy from his hand. With bent brows and set teeth she wrenched it round. The engine gave a faint protesting mutter, like a dog that has been disturbed in its sleep and was still once more. "'May I help?' It was not Bream who spoke, but a strange voice, a sepulchral voice, the sort of voice someone would have used in one of Edgar Allan Poe's cheerful little tales if he had been buried alive and were speaking from the family vault. Coming suddenly out of the night, it affected Bream painfully. He uttered a sharp exclamation and gave a bound which, if he had been a Russian dancer, would undoubtedly have caused the management to raise his salary. He was in no frame of mind to bear up under sudden sepulchral voices. Billy, on the other hand, was pleased. The high-spirited girl was just beginning to fear that she was unequal to the task which she had chided Bream for being unable to perform, and this was mortifying her. "'Oh, would you mind? Thank you so much. The self-starter has gone wrong.' Into the glare of the headlights there stepped a strange figure, strange, that is to say, in these tame modern times." In the Middle Ages he would have excited no comment at all. Passers-by would simply have said to themselves, "'Ah, another of those knights off after the dragons,' and would have gone on their way with a civil greeting. But in the present age it is always somewhat startling to see a helmeted head pop up in front of your motor-car. At any rate it startled Bream. I will go further. It gave Bream the shock of a lifetime. He had had shocks already that night, but none to be compared with this. Or perhaps it was that this shock, coming on top of those shocks, affected him more disastrously than it would have done if it had been the first of the series instead of the last. One may express the thing briefly by saying that, as far as Bream was concerned, Sam's unconventional appearance put the lid on it. He did not hesitate. He did not pause to make comments or ask questions. With a single cat-like screech, which took years off the lives of the abruptly wakened birds roosting in the neighboring trees, he dashed away towards the house, and, reaching his room, locked the door, and pushed the bed, the chest of drawers, two chairs, the towel-stand, and three pairs of boots against it. Out on the drive Billy was staring at the man in armor, who had now, with a masterful wrench, which informed the car right away that he would stand no nonsense, set the engine going again. "'Why, why?' she stammered. "'Why are you wearing that thing on your head?' "'Because I can't get it off.' Hollow as the voice was, Billy recognized it. S "'Mr. Marlowe!' she exclaimed. "'Get in,' said Sam. He had seated himself at the steering wheel. "'Where can I take you?' "'Go away,' said Billy. "'Get in. "'I don't want to talk to you.' "'I want to talk to you. "'Get in.' "'I won't.' Sam bent over the side of the car, put his hands under her arms, lifted her like a kitten, and deposited her on the seat beside him. 
Then, throwing in the clutch, he drove at an ever-increasing speed down the drive and out into the silent road. Strange creatures of the night came and went in the golden glow of the headlights. 7. "'Put me down,' said Billy. "'You'd get hurt if I did, travelling at this pace. "'What are you going to do?' "'Drive about till you promise to marry me.' "'You'll have to drive a long time.' "'Right ho,' said Sam. "'The car took a corner and purred down a lane. "'Billy reached out a hand and grabbed at the steering wheel. "'Of course, if you want to smash up in a ditch,' said Sam, "'writing the car with a wrench.' "'You're a brute,' said Billy. "'Caveman stuff,' explained Sam. "'I ought to have tried it before.' "'I don't know what you expect to gain by this.' "'That's all right,' said Sam. "'I know what I'm about.' "'I'm glad to hear it.' "'I thought you would be.' "'I'm not going to talk to you.' "'All right. Lean back and doze off. "'We've the whole night before us.' "'What do you mean?' cried Billy, sitting up with a jerk. "'Have you ever been to Scotland?' "'What do you mean?' "'I thought we might push up there. "'We've got to go somewhere, and, oddly enough, "'I've never been to Scotland.' "'Billy regarded him blankly. "'Are you crazy?' "'I'm crazy about you. "'If you knew what I've gone through tonight for your sake, "'you'd be more sympathetic. "'I love you,' said Sam, "'swerving to avoid a rabbit. "'And what's more, you know it.' "'I don't care.' "'You will,' said Sam confidently. "'How about North Wales? "'I've heard people speak well of North Wales. "'Shall we head for North Wales?' "'I'm engaged to Bree Mortimer.' "'Oh, no, that's all off,' Sam assured her. "'It's not.' "'Right off,' said Sam firmly. "'You could never bring yourself to marry a man who dashed away like that "'and deserted you in your hour of need.' "'Why, for all he knew, I might have tried to murder you. "'And he ran away. "'No, no, we eliminate Bream Mortimer once and for all. "'He won't do.' "'This was so exactly what Billy was feeling herself "'that she could not bring herself to dispute it. "'Anyway, I hate you,' she said, "'giving the conversation another turn. "'Why, in the name of goodness, why?' "'How dared you make a fool of me in your father's office that morning?' "'It was a sudden inspiration. "'I had to do something to make you think well of me, "'and I thought it might meet the case "'if I saved you from a lunatic with a pistol. "'It wasn't my fault that you found out.' "'I shall never forgive you.' "'Why not Cornwall?' said Sam. "'The Riviera of England. "'Let's go to Cornwall. "'I beg your pardon. "'What were you saying?' "'I said I should never forgive you, and I won't.' "'Well, I hope you're fond of motoring,' said Sam. "'because we're going on till you do.' "'Very well. Go on, then.' "'I intend to. "'Of course it's all right now while it's dark, "'but have you considered what is going to happen "'when the sun gets up? "'We shall have a sort of triumphal procession. "'How the small boys will laugh "'when they see a man in a helmet go by in a car. "'I shan't notice them myself, "'because it's a little difficult to notice anything "'from inside this thing, "'but I'm afraid it will be rather unpleasant for you. "'I know what we'll do.' "'We'll go to London and drive up and down Piccadilly. "'That'll be fun.' "'There was a long silence. "'Is my helmet on straight?' said Sam. 
Billie made no reply. She was looking before her down the hedge-bordered road. Always a girl of sudden impulses, she had just made a curious discovery, to wit, that she was enjoying herself. There was something so novel and exhilarating about this midnight ride that imperceptibly her dismay and resentment had ebbed away. She found herself struggling with a desire to laugh. "'Lochinvar,' said Sam suddenly. "'That's the name of the chap I've been trying to think of. "'Did you ever read about Lochinvar? "'Young Lochinvar, the poet calls him, rather familiarly. "'He did just what I'm doing now, "'and everybody thought very highly of him. "'I suppose in those days a helmet was just an ordinary part "'of what the well-dressed man should wear. "'Odd how fashions change. Till now, dignity and wrath combined had kept Billy from making any inquiries into a matter which had excited in her a quite painful curiosity. In her new mood, she resisted the impulse no longer. "'Why are you wearing that thing?' "'I told you, purely and simply because I can't get it off. You don't suppose I'm trying to set a new style in gents' headwear, do you?' "'But why did you ever put it on?' "'Well, it was this way. "'After I came out of the cupboard in the drawing-room... "'What?' "'Didn't I tell you about that? "'Oh, yes, I was sitting in the cupboard in the drawing-room "'from dinner-time onwards. "'After that I came out and started cannoning about "'among Aunt Adeline's china, "'so I thought I'd better switch the light on. "'Unfortunately I switched on some sort of musical instrument instead, "'and then somebody started shooting.' "'So, what with one thing and another, I thought it would be best to hide somewhere. "'I hid in one of the suits of armour in the hall. "'Were you inside there all the time we were?' "'Yes. I say, that was funny about Bream, wasn't it? "'Getting under the bed, I mean.' "'Don't let's talk about Bream.' "'That's the right spirit. I like to see it. "'All right, we won't. Let's get back to the main issue. "'Will you marry me?' "'But why did you come to the house at all?' "'To see you.' "'To see me, at that time of night?' "'Well, perhaps not actually to see you.' Sam was a little perplexed for a moment. Something told him that it would be injudicious to reveal his true motive, and thereby risk disturbing the harmony which he felt had begun to exist between them. "'To be near you.' "'To be in the same house with you,' he went on, vehemently, feeling that he had struck the right note. "'You don't know the anguish I went through after I read that letter of yours. I was mad. I was—well, to return to the point, will you marry me?' Billy sat looking straight before her. The car, now on the main road, moved smoothly on. "'Will you marry me?' Billy rested her hand on her chin, and searched the darkness with thoughtful eyes. "'Will you marry me?' The car raced on. "'Will you marry me?' said Sam. "'Will you marry me? Will you marry me?' "'Oh, don't talk like a parrot!' cried Billy. "'It reminds me of Bream.' "'But will you?' "'Yes,' said Billy. Sam brought the car to a standstill with a jerk, probably very bad for the tires. "'Did you say yes?' "'Yes.' "'Darling,' said Sam, leaning towards her. "'Oh, curse this helmet!' "'Why?' "'Well, I rather wanted to kiss you, and it hampers me.' "'Let me try and get it off. Bend down.' "'Ouch!' said Sam. 
"'It's coming. There. How helpless men are!' "'We need a woman's tender care,' said Sam, depositing the helmet on the floor of the car and rubbing his smarting ears. "'Billy! Sam! You angel!' "'You're rather a darling after all,' said Billy. "'But you want keeping in order,' she added severely. "'You will do that when we're married. When we're married!' he repeated luxuriously. "'How splendid it sounds!' "'The only trouble is,' said Billy, "'father won't hear of it.' "'No, he won't. Not till it is all over,' said Sam. He started the car again. "'What are you going to do?' said Billy. "'Where are you going?' "'To London,' said Sam. "'It may be news to you, but the old lawyer like myself knows that, by going to Doctors' Commons, or the Court of Arches, or somewhere, or by routing the Archbishop of Canterbury out of bed, or something, you can get a special license, and be married almost before you know where you are. My scheme, roughly, is to dig this special license out of whoever keeps such things, have a bit of breakfast, and then get married at our leisure, before lunch, at a registrar's. "'Oh, not a registrar's,' said Billy. "'No? I should hate a registrar's. "'Very well, Angel, just as you say. We'll go to a church. There are millions of churches in London. I've seen them all over the place.' He mused for a moment. "'Yes, you're quite right,' he said. "'A church is the thing. It'll please Webster.' "'Webster?' "'Yes, he's rather keen on the church bells never having rung out so blithe a peal before, and we must consider Webster's feelings. After all, he brought us together.' "'Webster? How?' "'Oh, I'll tell you all about that some other time,' said Sam. "'Just for the moment I want to sit quite still and think. "'Are you comfortable? "'Fine. "'Then off we go.' The birds in the trees fringing the road stirred and twittered grumpily as the noise of the engine disturbed their slumbers. But if they had only known it, they were in luck. At any rate, the worst had not befallen them, for Sam was too happy to sing. THE END and that's the end of The Girl on the Boat by P.G. Woodhouse. Read for you by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain.